0: What is up, you Rascallion recruiters? You, this is Dave Stephen Patterson. You know me as Dsp. And uh we have right over here. Oops, sorry, right over there. We have, yeah, it's always I'm always which where do I go? I'm always like as I can turn around opposite. So this is uh the one and only Chris Wessel. Chris, how you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I you know I'd like to point out to everybody who's watching us that the show has Fifty percent more hair this week because, uh, unfortunately, uh, the esteemed Neil Lebovitz was uh, had called away to do some real work. Uh, <laughs> but we'll try yeah, to I we'll trust. try to represent him the best we can.
0: This show just got a lot sexier.
1: say?
0: unfortunately, Neil Lebovitz is not here to defend himself.
1: So. Um, which is the talked, best time to talk about him.
0: <laughs> the best time to talk about him. Boy, do we love talking smack about Neil. Uh, and of course, I'm sure on the day I miss, I'm sure you guys be talking smack about me. Uh uh that's just how so, goes. You know. whoever's not there,
1: you know. He and by the way, he has to pick next week's topic because he wasn't here. So that's his that's Oh, uh,
0: that's right. Okay. He has to pick <laughs> and the topic will be why Neil didn't show up for the show. <laughs> us talk an entire hour just about that topic. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding, Neil. If you're listening to this, uh, uh, we are just kidding. How's it anyway. going,
1: Dave? How, how's, how's things on your end? What's going on with uh, Things are going
0: pretty good, actually. Uh, actually, uh, things are going great. I actually have a new program launching today at 4 p.m. Eastern. So for those folks um, um, who, who uh, have known I've run this um, AI Persona program, uh, uh, Genesis program for the last uh, probably four or five months, uh, which where we we install these AI personas into your uh, ChatGPT account. We're actually coming out with a do-it-yourself program, which is launching today at four PM Eastern. So I'll be talking more about that towards the end. But uh, that's about it for me, man. What about uh, you? I actually I saw your I saw you post about your son on 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 Facebook. He's a cute little guy. His little glasses.
1: Oh, he's he's adorable. And I had I was was somewhere the other day, and someone was like, "He has your head," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's pretty accurate." He's like, got like probably the same size head as me. And uh, actually we got some extra feet running around the house this week. Um, And I was fortunate enough to break away, to go to the office for a few hours to do this and a couple other things. But um, uh, he he just got a new cousin as of uh, late uh, Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Uh, So uh, his, my sister-in-law, my wife's brother's uh, wife, uh, was supposed to get induced on Thursday and ended up deciding to have it on like into the wee hours of Tuesday night. So, uh, the rest this week, we're watching the other little ones. I don't know if you saw that, uh, on my Facebook there. I posted the other two. I had one of them, they're playing on the laptop and one of them is holding the phone. So, uh, I got his cousins at the house for a couple days, uh, just to give her a break while the new one's getting welcomed. So, uh, yeah, a Excellent. lot of, a lot of movement around the house the last couple of days.
0: <laughs> couple future recruiters there. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get on the show here uh, today. We're gonna be talking about business development, uh, which is one of those areas that is obviously critical to the people in the, this business. Uh, it is, um, you know, look at the end of the day, if you can't bring in clients and job orders, you are dead in the water. And uh, of course, I know for a lot of uh, uh, the, the older uh, folks, the folks that are long in the tooth, been in the business for a long time, veterans. Sometimes they're some of the worst at it because if you've been relying on legacy clients for years and then they fall off and then you haven't made a cold call in 10 years, and, and sometimes uh, it's, it's harder to make a cold call when you're a veteran than when you're a fresh-faced rookie who doesn't know any better. And so we'll be talking today about business development, prospecting, cold calls. Not a lot of structure to the show necessarily. We're, Chris Naird's going to riff back and forth a little bit, talk about uh, uh, what I do for business development, how I train it, talk about what Chris does in his own practice. Uh and um uh but before we do that though guys, uh uh before we get into the d- details here, guys do me a favor if for anybody else who can hear us comment live in the comments. Uh if you have any questions, make sure you comment in there as well. And we'll try to answer any questions that you have. Although we have a hard stop at twelve forty-five. Uh so we're gonna be or one forty five or whatever, or
1: whatever wherever they
0: are. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll answer any questions we have up until that point. And uh, if you're watching the replay, comment replay because we want to see who is listening to the show uh, even after the fact. All right? So with that being said, folks, let's uh, let's talk about business development. And and, lo- and we could probably uh, categorize business development in a couple different, say, buckets, I think, uh, broad buckets. So there's, um, there's maybe the prospecting right? Uh, you Prospecting LinkedIn, email, cold call, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So different ways you can prospect. Uh, But uh, something that I know you want to talk about, Chris, was, okay, let's say somebody replies somewhat positively.
1: what do
0: you do? do? do do? But then, and and so there's, so there's, there's, there's that bucket, having those initial conversations. And then if we have time, I don't know if we will or not, but if we have time, we could even talk about some of the nuances of the actual sales process itself. Uh, I know for a lot of folks, um, you know, it, it's it's one thing to get a job order; it's quite another thing to get something exclusive or on engagement or something where you're actually working with your client as a partner versus as a. And I'm I almost puke whenever I say this word, vendor. Oh God! Don't you hate that? You oh,
1: yeah. Well, we do that to ourselves sometimes too and i mean like on that topic how you have that initial call it really frames the nature of the relationship going forward you know i have um seen a lot of times there'll be uh issues that people bring up in the group that say um you know i have this problem this situation going on the client and, I, and i'll think to myself listen hindsight's always twenty twenty, but they're you're like this could have been headed off like early in the process right like i think And I've been in this situation myself, like especially early on, you know, a lot of us were just, especially if you're new, you're so excited to get a job order. You see like someone wants to work with you and you kind of go almost into this deferential mode where you're just like, thank you. Not that you're saying explicitly, but you're almost like, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to work on this. And just, you're just, you're just take it and and, and you take everything at face value and the job description. Yeah. And you're like, thank you so much. I'll go find you exactly what you need. And I think a lot of that call comes down, that, that initial call comes, confidence is important. You know, whether, whether, you're, whether you've been doing this for 10 minutes or 10 years, um, you got to ask the right questions to qualify it. And, and so many things that we just don't think to ask or are afraid to ask in the beginning, how many other recruiters are working on this? How long, like, have you looked at internal candidates already? Have just, et cetera, et cetera. We could talk through a bunch of those. But I think going in, instead of jumping into, like, either presentation mode, where you just start talking about your firm and everything else, or just, just grabbing it and running and saying, thank you so much, I'll go find you what you need. I think you establish a lot of authority if you, listen, the one asking questions is the one running the conversation, okay? So if you come in and right off the bat, you're asking them pointed questions. And I'm not talking about challenging them too openly. I mean, maybe you're challenging to an extent, but I'm saying it's not It's not an adversarial conversation, but like there is stuff that you need to know going in to know if this is worth your time and you need to ask those questions. And if you're doing that right from the get-go, you will be treated more like a partner and less like a vendor if you, we do it to ourselves is what I'm saying. You know what I mean, DSP?
0: Yeah, no, exactly. In fact, um, um, you know what, what? When I first got in this business, and of course, this is this is pretty much the norm for anybody who gets in the business and they're young. I got. Uh, I remember. So, so I, I've been staffing and recruiting ever since I uh, was maybe 21, 22, But I got into search when I was about 24, 25. So that was when I started. Um, uh, uh, Zale says, "Front of the pain points exactly." So I'm about to about to come to that. Thank you very much, Zale, for the, uh, uh, yes. for, the uh, for the for the layup or for the uh, the assist. So. Um, what was this and I lost my, my track of thought. So, when it's, um, yeah, so, so when you're young and you get on the phone with a VP, for example, because back in the old days we used the phone instead of Zoom, and uh, yeah, I, I'm glad handing the entire time because I'm just happy to be on the phone with the VP, and, and, uh, uh, and and that's how you get crappy job orders. And that's how you, you, you and you lose a lot of respect with your prospective clients. Um, because the, the way I look at it is if you, if, if, if I have this, uh hiring people – hiring uh, uh, a critical uh, – hard for a critical role is a critical thing, right? It's 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 tough. It's really important, right? Just like, for example, let's say you have a tax issue with the IRS. Really important, right? Well, if you have a tax issue with the IRS, um, are you going to go and and talk to the first uh, tax attorney that you see who's super glad to be talking to you and he like oh, yeah, of course I can take care of it. Oh, no problem. Of course I can do this. Oh, yeah, whatever you need, boss, whatever you need versus – I want somebody who comes in with a sense of gravitas, tells me exactly how this conversation is going to go, tells me exa- asks me really tough questions, almost where I have to prove myself in order for them to take me on as a client, because I am going to feel a lot more trust with that individual because they seem much more like an expert, right? And that's really, really important here. And I think uh, I think part of that, and it only comes to asking uh, tough questions. In fact, I want, to, um, um, I want to talk about specific questions here in a second, but... One of the things I think is also very important when you um, when you talk to a, a prospect before the conversation even gets going, a couple of things you, you can do. One, set the agenda. Uh, so uh, uh, tell the prospect, "Okay, we'll we'll be talking about. I've got this call set for about thirty minutes. We'll be talking about A, B, C, D. You know, whatever you the the agenda is. And if I can help you, I'll tell you exactly how. And if I can't, this is really important. If I can't." I'm going to put you in the right direction. Either way, uh, I want to make sure you leave this meeting with with enough value and maybe some strategies to to help you fill this role quickly, or whatever you happen to say, right? But see what I'm doing is I'm setting the agenda. I'm saying we're going to be talking about A, B, C, and D. we set this meeting for 30 minutes. um, By the end of this call... I'll tell you exactly how I can help if I can help, and if I can't, I'll get you pointed in the right direction. Because if you if you, if you're going to present your solution, which is you know maybe an exclusive contingency or an engagement or whatever it happens to be, um, you want them to feel as if they've they've earned their place uh, on your client list versus the other way around, right? And and also builds trust because what's going to happen because the what you're trying to convey is I don't need your business, and if I don't think I can help. I'll find someone else who can.
1: And I think that, and I think that not pretending like you can solve the problem or deliver the solution in like one phone call also is a big thing. And that's part of setting that agenda. It's like one of the things that I do is, you know, I basically established, listen, the purpose of this call is to understand if if it makes sense to work together. Like I want to understand if, if, If this is a project i can help you with if you know and and if you know have you have a certain comfort level with how i operate etc and i'm explaining to them as part of that agenda that like if we do decide to work together like we're just going to talk about the job in kind of a high level so i can understand how feasible it is etc we're still going to have a separate meeting to dive into this job in more depth assuming we sign a contract together and i'm also going to need to just know that i have the opportunity to speak to anybody else who's a key member of the hiring team I have found that if they bulk at some of that, like that's a that's a big red flag for me because that is what I do too. And I'm like, if they're not, if they're not, if they're like, well, I just wanted to tell you in the next half hour what I need and I need you to go find it for me, I would be wary of that. If you say, listen, let's spend 20 minutes, let's figure out if it makes sense to work together. I'll send you my agreement. If, you, if we decide to move forward, I'd like to take an hour of your time so we can dive into this role in more detail. And I'd like you to invite, you know, other people who'll be decision makers in this process. I get some people are like, Great, that's awesome. Because I'm not going to pretend that I can understand the need and and how they want to convey the opportunity and everything else in like 15 minutes. I just don't. That, that, on I should preface that, but I should supplement that by saying I currently work on leadership roles and senior individual contributors. Now, if you're just if you're just staffing like, you know, general labor warehouse, office temps, things like that don't need to do that. You probably could do it in a half hour call. Then you're actually complicating things with the client. Like if I was just, when I was staffing just straight IT temps going out there in droves, updating uh, software and switching out routers and bank branches and stuff like that. If I told them I was going to do that for the process, they'd be like, this is way more than we need. So just also understand like how deep you need to go. But I think by the, again, this goes back to the agenda.
0: Yeah. And, and also, um, Something else you want you to consider when you, when you get on a call as well, um, I think is um, um, also – well, so there's a thing that people call rapport, or as I like to call it, report. Uh, and people <laughs> always talk about building report in the conversation. Uh, and, uh, oh, gosh, I see a f- uh, picture of you fly fishing in the background there. Chris, do you fly fish? I fly fish as well. Uh, you know, report building <laughs> – <laughs> Do we have reports yet? You know, and that's not really, you know, and report building is, is certainly fine to in the conversation. But one thing I think is more important is establishing your authority. And so uh, part, of, part of establishing authority, obviously, is the agenda. we we'll talk about A, B, C, and D. And at the end, we'll if if it makes sense to talk further or, or if i can help you i'll show you exactly how if not and, and then and then from there we can schedule a call to talk about the position specifically or if not you point in the right direction um but uh another way you want to build authority is you know what happens quite oftentimes is and this is what i what i what i found is that people will either a never talk about what what makes them uh, uh unique amongst all the other field of recruiters out there right because recruiters were we're a commodity. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> everybody finds the best candidates. Everybody finds them the fastest. Everybody has the biggest network. Everybody has the most experience. Everybody's a specialist. Blah, 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 So that's that's – all right. So let's get out of the way. We're commodity, all right? So, um, So – what I found is that if if you need to establish your authority in the in, in the in the beginning of the conversation, people either generally don't do it because they're just so happy to be on the phone uh, with a person, or when they do do it, that you rush through it. They almost feel like they feel bad for, uh, hey Bob, let me just tell you a bit about us. I hate to do it, but just give me like a, a couple quick seconds, and they almost and they rush. You're apologizing
1: through it. for yourself, like for no Yeah, reason. they're
0: apologizing. Like I'm sorry, I have to introduce myself, but I'm sorry. Just listen to me for thirty seconds, please, while I I have to introduce. And, and there's no authority there. And so I call it kind of like flashing the badge, right? You want to be able to flash the badge. It's a I call it status delta uh, if you want to get t- the technical term. But all business report really is is the establishment of a status delta, of your status as compared to the person you're talking to. Think about when you answer the door um, at uh, 9 o'clock at night and there's somebody there starts asking you questions. You're going to say, who the hell are you? Get off my lawn. Versus, if they flash their badge and say, "I'm the, uh, this is Agent Johnson with the FBI," uh, you're going to answer their question because they've just flashed their badge They've established some authority over you, or well, at least you're more likely to answer answer their questions than than if they didn't flash the badge. So, what can you so think about? What can you do to flash the badge be- either before the meeting or at the beginning of the meeting? What I like to do is instead of just saying, "Okay, now let's talk about me," because it really should be more about them than anything else. What i generally like to do is, is – uh, I, I do like to make an excuse, but not an apologetic, apologetic excuse. More of, hey, let me tell you a bit about uh, – uh, for the first couple of minutes before we get into everything else, let me tell you a bit about myself and my firm and, and what we do, and here's the key. Uh, so everything else makes sense. It doesn't really mean anything. But it's providing a reason that sounds like a legitimate reason. Let me explain who we are, what we do, you know, kind of our place in the market, et cetera. Uh, just everything else here in the conversation makes sense. Yeah, yeah and so just so you kind of awesome. understand, like where I'm
1: coming from, and what exactly, my perspective is on the, on the questions that I'm asking, and and that, and you know, the the other thing with like authority along those lines, I think that really sheer, it, And this is tougher when you're new. I, I acknowledge this, but asking like pointed questions about the role and really like that shows authority, okay? And so here's what I mean by that. Like you'll see sometimes there'll be a a question in the groups or whatever about someone's working on this role and like the salary is unrealistic or I'm just not, you know, a lot of that may stem from the fact that you just, you took a job order, they said, we're looking for X and you said, okay, I'll go find you X. If you're in that call, you can establish a lot of authority by basically pushing back a little. And what I mean is, Let's say they're like, "Oh, David, uh, I know you specialize in SAP. That's great. Blah blah blah. Listen, I'd really like to hire like an ABAP developer, and I'd like to pay you know seventy-five to eighty-five k. And you'll be like, well,
0: well I'm doing.' In my
1: experience, uh, <laughs> I have uh, that might be a little low for what you're trying to accomplish. Let's let's peel that. Let's take a step back and let's under- Let me understand like what what we're trying to do here and help me understand the business need, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, because I'll get that all the time where I'll say like, okay. Um, someone needs to hire uh, like oh, a CFO, and I want I want to pay like ninety grand, and I'm like, okay, what does a CFO mean for you? Are we talking about a CFO? Are we talking about a controller? It's and 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 I don't specialize necessarily in accounting, but just in generally like leadership roles. But if you have any knowledge of the market, and it it shows in the questions that you ask and the and the pushback that you give, where you're like, okay, I understand what you're looking for in the budget you're working within, based on what I see out there, here are some areas we may need to move some levers. You know, what, what kind of flexibility do you have? What things can we, can we move around a little? Um, and that'll give you a sense of, it'll give you a sense of what you have to work with and how realistic the job is to fill. And quite frankly, it will give them an impression that this person knows what the hell they're talking about.
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, and and even beyond that, like, um, and, of course, yeah, an ABAP developer for, for 80, 80K. I, like wildly exaggerated. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> um, um, just made his
1: blood pressure go up just like a little bit for a second.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, 80K for an ABAP developer, even that was kind of low back when I started recruiting SAP in 2004. You
1: yeah, know exactly what I mean? That's, like
0: that's um, uh, it, it, a funny thing about, and this is really, really, uh, uh, um, really kind of like, out of left field here or or, or or niche but i remember in the sap space um uh you, you don't say uh you, uh, you don't say a bit or a or you don't say ABAP, you say abap right but uh when i was recruiting whenever we, i i, I, I I would come across like a good old boy. So sometimes, like in the in the South, you may have like you may talk to an SAP manager who's got like the the Southern draw. He's kind of like an old good old boy from back to the day. Maybe he was like a warehouse team manager. Then they, they, they got put on SAP. I'm looking for an like A-B-A-P, ABAP
1: developer. And like,
0: oh no, there wasn't, they no it, 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 ABAP. ABAP. Like, ABAP was the way they would say it. Like, ABAP developer. I can't. I can't do the accent, but it was always ABAP, and I always thought it was it was funny. Um, but um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, but back on the, other conversation and, and Zale, uh, I, I, see you asked a question, um, we'll, we'll come to that part here, uh, in a little bit. I want to mention a few more things, um, about the, the sales call, but I do want to hit up your question as far as, uh, have you, how far have you gone into a partner's company? Um, but with regard to the, um, qualifying and you know, part of you know, a, a good qualification is really, um, probably the majority of your sales pitch. Right. It's more, but yeah, it's just like Chris, it's just the questions that you ask. Um, I want to dive into it a little bit further. So let's say you, 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 you get on the call, you set the agenda, you flash your badge. You say, let me tell you a bit about myself and our my firm, exactly what we do. So everything else makes sense. Is that like, great? They say excellent. Great. And you say, okay, we do this and, and, you know, we win these awards and da, 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 da. What, what, you know, whatever your kind of your, your differentiator is, right? Once you get past that. Um, I, what I like to ask, very first question I like to ask is, okay, so, so let me ask you, what was the purpose of you booking a call with me today, or what are you looking to get out of this call? It's 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 almost like a shot across the bow because they may spill the beans on everything because it's such an open-ended question, or they may not. It's a, it's a good way just to start the conversation off and see where it goes, um, and then obviously talk, talk if it's about a specific position, ask asking qualifying questions. What is it? We like looking look at pages the basics. But then after that, i like to switch gears and, 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 and start digging around for pain. Kind of like at, as a dentist, because it just because a position pays well. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's something that you should want to work on because there there's really not much pain associated with it. Like if there if it's if it's not very painful to not have somebody hired, then they're going to drag their feet and drag their feet. Uh, so I always like to ask questions about, and I like to separate pain in two different areas. There's the broad business pain, which is okay. So why you're looking to hire okay uh, is that being in the role right now what's what's that causing uh, how's it cause co- how's that uh is that creating issues with the team how's that affecting if it's they say finance and accounting manager yeah ha- uh, how's that affecting your month end your year end your books how's it affecting this um and so a- start asking some of those questions to get a sense of like the general pain like how how uh, how critical it is for them to fill this uh quickly right but then there's also But there's all, and and obviously you want to ask the opposite questions too. Okay. So if you do, if, if you hire somebody tomorrow that walked in the water, what they look like for your team. Well, so you want to ask those questions as well. Like what they, what their vision is or what their dream is or what they're like the, all the opposite of the pain questions. But once you get past that, what I find is really valuable, especially if you sell a higher level service. So let's say you're not just a contingency recruiter. You don't want to be one of six vendors on a search.
1: I said vendor um, And that's but, what you uh, are if there's six of you you're a vendor <laughs> you, yeah
0: you are a vendor uh, you are a trusted vendor um, that's an oxymoron but um, uh, but let's say you sell you you at a minimum you work exclusively right um, or you work in gay retainer whatever it happens to be um, oftentimes in these sales calls people come in the sales call looking for options. You want to add another recruiter to the mix. They already have a recruiter they want to put you on it too, or something like that. And so if you're trying to, if they're coming in with that sort of mentality, most are to to move them off that path and to get them thinking that it actually might make sense to work exclusively, it's also important to ask what, ask about the pains associated with what you call a bad solution. And a bad solution is anything that is not your solution. could be HR, could be job boards, usually it's other recruiters, use a contingency. So if they're using two or three other recruiters in the search and I ask, well, so how long has it been open? Three months. Okay, and you've got other recruiters working on the search right now. You tell me you have two recruiters. Yes. Okay, so why haven't you hired anybody yet? Silence and see what they say. Um, okay, uh, and, and try to gauge is there other issues – with using those multiple recruiters, uh, are they not uh, are, they, are they not screening candidates? Uh, are they um, um, are they are you not seeing resumes? Maybe when you give the search out, you see maybe a flurry of resumes first, and then nothing. You haven't heard back from the recruiters in two weeks, and and because a lot of times those bad solutions that they're using come with a set of pains for using multiple contingency recruiters. For example, again, this lack of communication, recruiters don't do a deep dive. They're not screening very well because they have to get candidates in very quickly. See if you multiple can multiple or same, receiving the same candidate for multiple recruiters. All those things are are, are pains associated with, with that. And if you could, uh, if you could try to, in fact, actually here's a good, here's a good example. Um, let's say you offer a long guarantee for engaged clients. Engage, meaning they pay you a deposit up front. When I was in the SAP world, um, everybody did contingency. Everybody, everybody did contingency. It was all 20%. It's just the way it was in the in, in the industry because you're very commoditized. And for a company, uh, for your normal SAP director looking for uh, an ABAP developer or a solution architect or whatever it is, why would they pay you 30% on a retainer an engage few and they've got they got recruiters banging down their door willing to take it a 15 percent contingency so um so one of the ways i i i, I solved that problem because the old advice I, w- I would get from recruiting trainers is know your worth hold hold out for the okay that sounds great if i know my worth but what if they don't see the worth in that right they they they're thinking why would i do that that's risky i'll use eight recruiters and i don't have to pay a thing i get eight times the coverage well so, so how do I convince them, right, beyond just knowing my word. And so um, I offered um, an exclusive contingency package, and I had an engaged package. It was the exact same price for both. Uh, however, in the engaged package, I had a full one-year replacement guarantee. Not refund, but replacement, right? No questions asked. Yeah. Um, versus – versus my normal, you know, anywhere between 30 to 90 day. And that's uh, what they get. They're getting
1: something for that money up front.
0: They're getting something for the money up front. I'm making money because I'm, I'm now I'm closing those engaged search- searches at a much higher rate than I am on the contingency. So I'm, so it's, it's like Apple Care, right, for the search. And I used to ask questions about, and this is where you talk about asking questions about pain-related questions on bad solutions. So, all right, so I'm curious if you, so I, I would ask this question often. How soon do you know when someone's not gonna work out? Not they start and they're horrible and you get rid of them right away, but I'm talking about they start, ah, they're okay, they're not great. You put them on a performance plan, you try to work with them, but eventually at some point you cut bait. When is that? And I would always hear six months, seven months, something like that. I was always in that in, in that general range. So, all right, so if your continuous recruiters are giving you a 90-day guarantee, which is kind of the average in the industry, what good does that do you when you're six months in and you have to cut somebody loose because they just weren't weren't cutting it, right? Uh, and so that was one of many ways that I was able to sell an engagement through the longer guarantee, uh, and that got that done for me because it wasn't just about the pain of not hiring somebody, but I also want to talk about the pain of using a bad solution, and that's how you pivot into your better solution.
1: And so I've I've done exactly what we are talking about, and I know – Um, so it's like when I do engage searches, I do like routinely, like six month plus guarantees, especially when they're like management roles, because they'll say, Hey, listen, like they're going to be, you know, first few months, they're just getting trained. They're getting ramped up, yada, yada. Um, what what people that are listening are probably thinking, and I, and I have a response to it already is okay. Well, yeah, I don't want to do a longer guarantee. I don't want to be a hook for longer. Here's what I've found. A longer guarantee can be a, can be a differentiator against a competitor. It's it. That's what it says to the customer is I stand behind my product because I believe I believe in it more than than the other guy. But in my experience, I don't know about you DSP, but in my experience, most of them fall apart in the first couple months anyway. So in I have never done a replacement in month five, never. But I routinely do six. So you know what I'm saying? Like I it, the 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 reality for the recruiter is really no different. Uh, but. Yeah. But, but like what the impression on the customer is is significant in, in my well, you opinion. Know, we,
0: had a, we had a question here from Mike Mike McCown. What's your close rate for contingent versus retained? Um, Everybody's a little bit different, but I know for me, it, it was a 20-80 80 split. 20% uh, close rate contingency typically and be like 70-80% for – Well, I wouldn't say retained. I never did fully retained. I did engage. So there it was the deposit up front between 5 to 10K depending on the level of position and then the balance uh, due upon hire – that was in that 70 to 80k or 80%
1: range close rate. And I guess the question too, because to make sure apples to apples like close rate, does that mean getting a contract signed? Because I get a contingency contract signed all day long. Um, I guess or the, is it like filling the, the job? Done. Yeah, getting the deal done. I mean
0: I would think, it's, yeah.
1: It's about the same. I would say I would I would say not every engaged search. Well, there's there's two things because there's a couple closes there, right? First, selling an engaged deal. Right, because that's easier said than done. I have found in the last couple of years, as as I shifted entirely to that, that it a lot more of them say yes than you'd think if you present it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the actual the deal coming into fruition and the collecting the full amount, I would say it's probably about 80, 80 plus percent because there are some that that fall off, um, but but most of them get done. Uh, before we go too far down that rabbit hole of uh, contingency and engaged, which I think is really good to explore, especially from a sales perspective, I just want to add one more layer of pain that I think is very impactful and and kind of positions you a bit more as a partner. So like, let's say it's the personal pain. How does it affect that manager and their job? Okay. So, So there's the company and how it affects the company and their goals and won't this suck, we won't be able to produce enough products, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, a lot of people care about their job and how it affects their life. Right? So for example, I was talking to someone who was in a manufacturing leadership role. And needed to hire another layer under him uh, to def- handle some more of the production planning, scheduling elements of his job because they were expanding. He was getting more direct reports. His span of control was getting wider. So, you know, because they were growing and they had more solutions they were offering. So this is a new hire to carve out a piece of him. And so some of my questions to, to really dig into to the need related to, you know, listen, how does how's that feel right now? Like and how long? you know, how long can you sustain doing both these jobs, you know, like, so, and, and, and what that helps me do is, is that's a qualifying move because what that helps me do is steer them towards, you know, first they'll establish like, listen, I, I hope I don't have to do this for more than like a few weeks because this is crazy. I'm working tons of hours. My wife is up, you know, bugging me because I'm putting in tons of extra time. I really need to get this hire made. Okay. So if we could pin down some the windows of availability you have for, for interviews, you know, a couple of weeks from now, you know, what do those time slots look like? Like, you know, and that's an old move, like the time slot thing. But like, I'm connecting it to an emotional need, right? Does that kind of make sense, DSP? Like, OK, I have a problem. OK, it's clearly top of mind. It's clearly personal. It's clearly affecting this individual. So let's take that and say, OK, let's look at a timeline. Would this timeline make you feel better? OK, I can meet that timeline. But what I need to do in order to make that happen from you is I need to block out some of your schedule so that we can get some people in here to meet with you. Can we do that? that? You, you follow what I'm saying? So, like, so that's just the yeah, other layer yeah. I want to exactly. cover because people at the end of the day really care about themselves and the, how this affects them personally and how it's make, affecting their life. And if there is a extra weight on them because of this job, and that's not always gonna be the case, but if, if you sense that there's extra weight on this person, that's that, that tells you that they are gonna more than likely be serious about filling this role and they are more than likely worth your time.
0: Which is reason number 83 why you should be working with hiring managers and not just HR because hiring (laughs) managers are the ones feeling the pain. Um, uh, Yeah, so one of the many reasons. And, and, And you're right about that. And because people generally, uh, when they make buying decisions, people generally uh, run from pain more than they run towards pleasure. Pain is a much bigger motivator uh, than pleasure is, and pain is is not just business pain; it's also personal pain. It's also the the pain of uh, of them losing momentum, in their leadership career, um, losing the confidence of their, their senior leadership because they if they can't get the job done, you know, and and, and oftentimes, you know, the uh, these folks are they're each being promoted every few years, and they lose that momentum. That's 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 not a good thing for their for for their for their mental state for their and, not, and also just for their career and for their for their uh um uh, or or their plans to do whatever they want. They usually they want to be prone to get to the C suite or whatever it is, uh, or their plans for career growth. I guess the way I was, I was looking at it. So yeah, but people generally run from pain more than they run towards pleasure, and so the more that but talking about pain is a hard thing for any recruiter to talk about. So just the fact that you're asking pain related questions is already setting you apart from most, because most are not going to do it. it's uncomfortable. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is people, recruiters don't want to make the decision-maker feel uncomfortable right? They want to glad hand them. Uh, But it's kind of like going to the dentist. And if the dentist doesn't want to make you uncomfortable, there's probably not a very good dentist, right? You want the dentist to go to dig around and see, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Oh, oh, that hurt. Okay. Let's, are you sure that hurts? Yes, it does. Okay. Let's, that's where we need to fix. And you want a dentist like that. Um, Yeah. So it is important to, to, to stay in the pocket with your prospects and ask those questions. Don't, and not to be afraid of that. Um, I do want to, to Ask Zale, and hopefully he can uh, clarify. I don't want to make sure I carry the question before we wrap. I didn't quite understand it. Uh, he said, how far have you gone into a partner's company? I was thinking about being part of the partner company for at least 15 days to gauge the culture and review more possible needs of the partner. So I'm assuming that uh, Zale is talking about a uh, a new client, maybe somebody on a retainer, um, and talking about, I guess, maybe embedding yourself into the uh, the client company perhaps is that what you're reading uh, here? That's kind of what I,
1: that's what I, I'm taking away from it. Um, which I think what the scenario is describing is is a, probably a bit impractical in terms of like time span. Mm-hmm. Um, like what I try to do. Maybe for like an RPO or something, I, I could see. Perhaps, that maybe. but like, so the searches that I work on are usually of significant strategic importance. So most of the time, there's a few cooks in that kitchen and they've got, as we know, differing opinions, right? And we know that that um, a lot of times we get to the end of a recruiting process and several people will uh, interview someone. And then ultimately there might be someone who's like, that's not what I'm looking for at all. And it nixes the whole thing and, and you're starting over and that sucks. And I actually describe that pain in the initial conversations I have with customers, when I explain my process of it, and depending on the level, we're not going to do this for like an accounts receivable clerk, but like we're hiring like a CFO, you know, I want to understand, like, are there board members involved in this? Are there other members of the executive team we need to talk to, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I'm going to probably, I'm going to want to talk to, you know, three or four stakeholders individually and get a sense of what their priorities are for this position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then I'll come back, I'll reconcile all that, give you like a report. And by the way, this is after they've paid me a retainer. I don't do this shit on spec as part of the qualifying process, but like I have those meetings, I'll come back to the primary hiring authority, Note any discrepancies, et cetera, um, which does help us build consensus early on and saves us time later. But where that relates to his question is, I also have the opportunity to engage with a number of touch points within the company while in embarking on the search and getting a, a feel for... The culture a bit more, not just because like I looked at their website or I talked to one person and he seems like a good guy and he'd be great to work for, but like I'll, and I and I'm pretty I, I work regionally, so um, rarely except for like COVID, like I I do I not visit a customer site. And I mean, here's the thing: they already sent me a check. It's usually a decent sized one. I'll drive an hour and go spend the day. You know what I mean? So that, again, this is tough sure. to do when you're doing contingency, but if You can commit a little more time up front. Um, That's that's a couple of the ways that I've had a chance to gauge it a bit more. But that being said, you know, there's only so deep you can go and still have it be practical. Um, I don't know. What's your take on that?
0: same same as so if you're doing like an engage if you're doing an engage retain search it does make sense to at least talk to some different stakeholders within the company get their feel for it also going glassdoor and find some of the or maybe some negative reviews and talk about that let's flesh some of these things out uh because yeah if you're going to be if you want to do quality recruiting i mean we're not talking about posting a job up on a job board and just praying that somebody applies to your job before they apply to your client's job that is also posted on the same job board right it's that that thing that a lot of recruiters when the market's really good, they tend to, to fall back into. But when you want to really recruit a quality passive candidate, right? Someone, and you got to convince them you're going to need to re- have a real, like uh finger on the pulse of your client, their culture, what they want, what they're like, every company's different, different. The leadership is different, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important. And it, again, it, it also helps the, uh, the client, right? The, you know, one of the things that, um, no, when, when people make a buying decision, um, and Chris, I know you have to go here for just a few minutes, so we'll, uh, we'll yeah, several minutes, can, like, yeah, Are you, okay, um, yeah, but, I could go wait, to like
1: seven more minutes, I'm good, yeah,
0: okay, um, when people make a buying buy decision, one of the thing I've, I've learned is that when people make a buying decision, right, even if you're signing a contract, the the minute they do that, buyer's remorse starts to set in, right, it, it happens with almost every purchase, you go, if you go buy a, a brand new TV and it's exciting and the moment you buy and you pull out of the parking lot and you're excited to have it but part of it like uh did I make the right decision uh, but 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 the, but the thing that that helps with that is the fact that you've got the TV in hand let's say you purchase a TV but you're not going to get it for for a month well there are some buyer's who are going to set in between now and then because it's a delayed purchase so if you if you're if you sign an agreement uh or if you if you uh, when a new engage or retained client and, and you start the search and you don't produce any candidates for a week or two, which could happen on, on a, maybe a longer search. Well, there's a long time between any action that you've taken that gives them confidence that you'll... Uh, complete the search versus when you sign that agreement, then, okay, now let's start the process. Let's get you interviews with the stakeholders and with you and let's do this and let's do this. Now they're, you're, you're, you're taking stuff's, a happening. Lot of, stuff's happening right, right after they make that purchase decision and you're giving them peace of mind that, okay, they made the right decision. So even beyond your ability to recruit effectively and to and to make sure that you uh, you understand the client's culture but even just from a buyer's remorse perspective you want to give the client small wins or just let them see immediate action instead of just saying okay great now that I have got your check uh, you'll hear back from me in 2 weeks or the short Right, lunch.
1: and and that is actually a major I found it it was a turning point for me a few years ago in shifting to getting some kind of payment up front um, and again, of course, depending on the deal, the nature of it, that sometimes that amount is varied, the percentage is varied, because you know how every situation's unique, but whatever. The point is, if you're gonna secure some payment upfront, if you can articulate that there are things that are gonna happen that you're gonna do that wouldn't happen in a typical recruiting engagement because they're not feasible in a contingency scenario where someone's just taken on as many jobs as they can because they're just trying to play the numbers and close a deal that month. And you're like, listen, I, so I can give your job the attention that it requires, Here's the way we do it. Right, I spend this time with you. I meet with these people. I get some consensus. Maybe we, maybe we use some personality assessments or whatever. Which, like, listen, a lot of times they're not expensive or even free. So, but if you work those in as part of like your process, to, to David's point, like, not only do they feel like stuff's happening, like once it's engaged, but even prior to it, when you're when you're trying to convey why, when they're looking at other options that are purely contingency, and you're saying, listen, I can do a great job for you, and here's how. And here's what you're getting for that money up front. That that I think helps communicate, like, you know, why they should do it in the first place.
0: Yeah, in fact, there, there's a there's a great line um, uh, that I'm sure you've heard. No one ever wants to see how the sausage is made, right? And that, it which is, you know, when I first got into this business, uh, my 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 first trainer I had at the time, which I think this is bad advice, but she told me that. She said, "Never tell the can ne- or and never tell the client how we got the resume, right? It should be a mystery. Uh, 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 get the candidate them in, but never tell the client how we got them." Uh, and I always thought it was bad advice because um, um, it's it's there, there's no value. I mean, the value is there in, <coughs> in the candidate, but look at this this day and age, the 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 market is so commoditized, right? Yeah. And right. no one wants to have the sausage is made unless. Unless I, unless I'm selling, I'm claiming to sell the finest sausage that will ever touch your lips. It's high priced. It is hard to get. There's a waiting list on it. And you say, well, okay, but <laughs> it's flipping sausage. Oh, oh, rare. Let me show you how it's made. We fly in the the sacred cows from India, and then we fly in the spices from. Persian and all they did it. and then here's how it's made and then it, it's and it's it's handmade and hand blah, blah 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 and we we put it on a velvet tray and whatever it is i, I don't know how sasha's made but but companies high companies that sell high-end products corvettes for example and you if you buy a corvette you can actually watch your corvette be made on the line right because they want you to see the care and the quality that goes into it because it justifies the high price right and so and so, ultimately, people—or or think about it like this—that the, there's another line that says, uh, people don't buy a drill; they're not inter- interested in the drill. They, what they really want is a quarter-inch hole in the wall, and that's very true. However, if there are ten drills are trying to make a purchase decision on, now they care about the drill because now they need to be sure. Well, I want to make sure I choose the right drill so I can get the hole that I want. So in those kids make right the first
1: time, not have to do it a bunch of times because you
0: know. exactly. And so, and so, then it makes sense to talk about. The drill. So, so, you know, it it does make sense in certain situations to explain how you do it and what your process is to just it's not to sell them. It's to justify what you are selling them. Right. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, most of them that I dealt with, even if the resume came off a freaking indeed or whatever, I'm not. I don't sell based on like, oh, I have like access to, listen, I've done this for a long time and I know for a long time the sell was we have a database, we have a database. Well, guess what? Everyone can find everyone. I don't care what anyone fucking says. Oh yeah. Everyone can find everyone. The value add is really understanding the need. And I don't just mean saying it on your website, but really understanding the business need, effectively communicating that opportunity to the right people because you could have the best list of source people ever, but if you're hitting them with the wrong messaging, you're going to miss by a mile and delivering that person are delivering the person that they need so they can drill that hole once. And, and, and they, they don't, they probably, they won't care if you, if they literally you found them on Indeed, or they're right on LinkedIn, or they even know the person mm-hmm. because you did all the free work to establish that this is the person who's going to be able to drill that hole. And the problem has been solved. That is what they're paying for. That's my take.
0: Hundred percent. It's 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 all that confidence. So you want them to have that confidence that they made the right decision. Um, at the end of the day, your client has to be the big winner in this, right? Uh, you're just you're there to serve serve the client, and a lot of times you know what you're doing in, in your mind, but they have no idea.
1: And if you, you tie too much mind. of your value to the to the finding of the person, then that's when you're scared of letting them know how you found them. That's when you're your worried mind. about going around. That's when. That's when they're like, "Oh, we knew this person already," and you get dicked around on getting paid. Like, if you tie it too much to the finding of the person, like we used to, I think you mm-hmm. you get into some trouble.
0: And it made sense back in the day when we used to do that that's because true. when I first started search uh, this before job, really before, before job, LinkedIn, before, we before, <laughs> and before LinkedIn. So the that da- the names your database were actually gold because you yes. got that by referrals and by ruse calling, and that was Absolutely. it. That's the only way you could find find names. And that, yeah, now I it's kind of so I can I can map an entire market for a niche in a week of LinkedIn and just extract all the data into my database. So the, the database itself is not a big deal. It's about the relationships and the process that you have, which ultimately kind of makes your job harder, right, than back in the day. We just show up with a resume, and that was the value. Um, so something to, to consider. Uh, I just realized we didn't even talk about prospecting. Uh, just strictly about, about calls. Well, you know, next week. Yeah. Let's talk about prospecting next week. Cause I cause that's an area that I, 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 I love prospecting and, uh, I'm sure a lot of folks are saying, Chris, David, that's all great, but how do I get the meeting? So next sure. week, we'll we put the, we put the, the chicken
1: meeting. and the egg in wrong order maybe, maybe this time. That's but right. I that's think the the if, show, if afterwards, if afterwards somebody watches the next episode first and then this episode, it'll all make sense together. <laughs>
0: It all makes sense together. That's right. Well, well, that's it, guys. We're going to wrap this up. I know, uh, Chris, you've got to get going. You've got a meeting coming up. you got to prep for. Um, I do want to tell everybody here, uh, we are, even though Neil isn't here, I am going to uh, promote uh, Neil and his company. So if anybody is needing any sort of back office staffing help, right, uh, as an employer of record, uh, contract staffing, etc., cetera, uh, invoice funding, reach out to uh, solutions.com forward slash contact. And for me, uh, I am many folks know I have been become a bit of an AI expert, specifically around the, the around the subject of AI personas. Flashing that uh, badge, we're <laughs> yeah, gonna flash that badge here. Um, well, for the last uh, I think four months right? Four months, uh, maybe four and a half months. Uh, I've been doing dozens and dozens and dozens of one-on-one consulting sessions with clients. But the, at this point I charge about $1,500, uh, uh, for these sessions they are kind of expensive. Uh, so if you're looking for a do it yourself, AI persona program, uh, my AI persona blueprint is dropping today at 4 p.m. It's a pre release, FYI. So, but the order order page is going to be up at 4 p.m. Uh, and uh, it'll be released on the, September 25th. And if you order as a pre release, you get 75% off of what it's going to be uh, priced at post launch. So uh, go to realdsp.me forward slash blueprint. However, it's not going to be on sale until 4 p.m. Eastern today. All right. So, uh, realdsp.me forward slash blueprint. All right. So, that said, let's wrap this up. Chris, any final words or anything that you want to uh, to add in there?
1: No. I mean, if I start to try to use some final words, it's going to be another half hour. So, I'll see you all next week.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll leave this with a, with a little bit of a humor and a joke. So, because uh, I love this joke. A Roman walks you into a bar, holds up two fingers, and says... I'll take five beers, please.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm sure some of you
0: got it, some of you didn't. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next <laughs> week.
1: See ya.